Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to those who might be listening later on via the Temple Beth Am podcast. This is the one Wednesday amidst five in which we're actually meeting because we missed two because of Pesach and the next two weeks uh, there'll be no class because both I and Leonard will be um, on the Betham trip to the Balkans, which we're very excited about, but we'll be sad to not be studying with you. And I'll send this out again, but, and the next class, which is three weeks from today, will only be on Zoom, because I'm gonna be doing it, I will not be in the building that day, so there'll be no class in person. It'll only be on Zoom three weeks from today. Sorry about that. Um, It's been a while since we um, studied. I. I have a note in my Chumash that we got through the end of verse 9 in chapter 7, but didn't do the Rashi's on it. And I want to confirm that we did do verse 8, including some of the other commentaries that I, that I had brought. Does that, does that seem right to everybody? Right, because, but we didn't do the Rashi on verse 9, that I'm pretty sure of. Okay, but we did read verse 9. Okay, so let's... I, I have verse 10 marked. Yeah. Okay, but I, we didn't read that. We didn't do the Rashi on verse nine. Um, so if we did, we did it again. It's a short one. Okay, so um, let's jump in. Uh, chapter seven, verse nine. Let me read the verse just to get us going. Um, this is now the second uh, verse of the fourth Aliyah Parsha Be'era. Let's actually go back to read verse eight, which is the first verse of the Parsha. Uh, sorry, of the Aliyah, Vayomer Adonai, God said, El Moshe Aron to Moses and to Aaron, saying, and we discussed why it is that in some situations God is speaking just to Moshe and telling Moshe to speak to Aaron, and why in this case, uh, I think we read an Ibn Ezra commentary as to why God is speaking to both of them. And then verse 9, Ki, which biblically doesn't only mean because, it can also mean when. Yidaber Aleichem Paro, when Pharaoh speaks to you, lay more, saying, quote, Tsnu lechem mofet, give, uh, give to yourselves, for yourselves. It's, an, it's one of those odd lechems, like lech lecha, when God says to Avram, lech lecha, right? The lech would have been enough. Avram is being told by God, go. So what's the lecha? Many, many midrashim and commentaries go, go towards yourself, go for yourself, go for your own purposes. The, 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 the lachem is weird here because you can imagine that God would imagine Pharaoh saying to Moses and Aaron, give not lachem, give li, give me a sign, right? Because mofet is a sign. But for some reason, it's lachem. Viamarta el aharon, you then, Moses, should say to Aaron. So again, you're, God is predicting this moment. You and Aaron, you both are standing in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, give for yourselves, for your own purposes, a sign. You should then say to Aaron, Kach et matcha, take your staff, v'hashlech lifnei Pharaoh, cast it down in front of Pharaoh. I think we talked about the fact that the Uncle translation of staff here is chutrach, and we know the word chutrach from chad gaja, that's the stick that hits the cat. Yehi uh, letanin, it will become a tanin, whatever a tanin is, some kind of a, uh, you know, a, snake-like animal or, 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 or a monster. 
We also discussed that there's sort of a phantom vav missing. We would have expected this verse to say, Hashlech vayahi litanin. Uh, throw it down in front of Pharaoh and it will become a tanin, but the vav is somehow uh, not there. Okay, a lot of people are just still, still joining on Zoom, Zoom. That's why I'm distracted here. That's the verse itself. Anything on the verse before I look at the uh, two short Rashi's on that verse? Microphone. So um, the word Mofet. Yeah, the I'm word curious the Shorish of it. Yeah, or like I what's think, it? What's I it's... think Mofet just means Mofet. Um, meaning, I don't know if there's a. It's not like Lohofia, and it's not. I don't. It's not. Mm, a, a, I don't a think pele. it's a BD basis. Um, of yeah. uncertain origin. That's what BDB there says. You That's go. what your dictionary says. Uh, yeah, hold on a second. Yeah, BDB says look up Aleph Pay Tough. Interesting. Let's look up Aleph Pay Tough. And if it's interesting, I'll, I'll share it with a group. Aleph Pay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll share, I'll, I'll share the screen. So this is BDB on the ancient uh, Hebrew root, which you do not see very often at all. Uh, Aleph Pei Taf, from which, according to BDB, the word Mofet comes from. So that's the Shorish, according to BDB. And uh, in Arabic, Ifutun, um, wonder or portent. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any analog that we're, that we're aware of. Yeah, and he has Mof Mofet is based on that wonder or sign or portent. What is in the dictionary? In your dictionary, doesn't exist. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Marvel. Yeah. Some, something which is hard to ex it's hard to explain. Okay. So, um, anything else on the verse itself? Where we look at the Rashi. The microphone. Just a quick comment on the word tanin, which is often translated as some kind of a sea monster. Yeah. Just to let people know, we have actually a couple words in English that are related to that. Okay. So there's the word tunny, which means a large fish from which we got tuna. No kidding. Yeah. It's from tanin? That's like clear and known? Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so declared. That's, ex that's I, I had no idea. I never we'll made that connection. Never get that wrong. Yeah. yeah, that'll be a forever thing. By the way, those in the room um, may have not seen that um, Joanna just posted on um, the chat that Safaria now has the BDB. So if you use Safaria, in addition to having Jastro, you can actually look up um, the Brown Driver Big, I can never say it, Brown Driver Briggs Biblical Lexicon. It's considered the Jastro for Biblical Hebrew. Jastro is rabbinic Hebrew, and this is. The, 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 the most um, widely revered lexicon of biblical, uh, biblical Hebrew was on, on Safaria. Really, we've said this so many times. It, it, it's unbelievable the extent to which Safaria has been maybe the most radical transformation in Jewish ideas since the Talmud, right? Um, no exaggeration. Okay. Uh, okay, Rashi. Rashi. Uh, comments on the, the same two words that we've commented on. Rashi comments on the word mofet, and Rashi comments on the word tanin. Sue, do you want to read Rashi on mofet? Yeah. Mofet. <clears throat> Ot. Okay. So, oh. So yeah. the first thing Rashi does is basically say, Sue, your question's a good one. 
I know you don't know what the word mofet is, so I'm going to tell you, right? And he turns it into what word? Oat. Oat. And what is what is oat? What are the possibilities? Of what oat could mean? A letter. A, letter. a symbol. Right. A letter, a sign, or a symbol. Beni uvein b'nei Israel. Oat he leolam. That Shabbat is referred to as an oat, not a letter, between uh, between me and the Jewish people forever, some kind of a symbol of the special relationship that we share. So um, according to Rashi, whatever oat means, it's a simpler Hebrew word than mofet, and he would assume that by saying oat, everyone reading say, oh, that's what it means. Some kind of a, um, a magical portent, okay? And then he continues on. To show, to, to inform that there is some kind of troch, which I'm assuming is power, um, in the person that has sent you, that is sending you. Good. Now, we sort of hinted at this before. Without saying it, I believe Rashi is answering the question, what's the lachem doing in the phrase? Again, in the scene, God is anticipating that Pharaoh is going to ask you, or give, give yourselves a sign when we would expect, Pharaoh would say, you're coming in God's name, give me a sign. It, the, the preposition should be lead, not lachem. So I think Rashi is trying to answer why it's a lachem. And he says, lahodia, to inform, sheyesh tzorech. What does the word tzorech normally mean? What does the nitzarich mean? Need. Must. Right, right. Need or must. So it, it's, it's, it's sort of odd here, and, and there are going to be other commentators who are going to comment on that, somehow to inform that there is, we'll use the word need as a placeholder, that there is a need, bimi, in the one, shesholeach etchem, who sent you. You naturally, Sue, translated it into the word power, right? Even though the word sarich doesn't mean power, but why did you translate it that way? Because I have nekudot that say tzeroch, which is not tzorech. Well, it's the same root. Yeah, right, it's, but it, it's a different. It's a, no, it's, it's, if it, it said tzorech, I would have said some kind of need, but right. it says troch, which right. sounds kind of mighty. <laughs> like as an onomatopoeia? <laughs> it's on troch. It sounds like something else. The reason why I think you intuitively rendered it as power or might is because that's what makes sense, right? And then, and then, what is Rashi's answer to the question as to why it's lachem to you and not li to me in the verse? If, if that's what, it, if Tzorach does mean power, how is that an answer to the question? Oh, the sorry. Yeah. To, in, to show that they have power, that there's, there's a force behind their words. Right. So Rashi is saying that God is saying when you stand in front of Pharaoh, Pharaoh is going to say to you, like, prove yourselves, right? Show that you're coming representing a being, a deity that I should pay attention to. So it's not for me, it's for you, because if you don't do it, the implication is, I'm not going to listen to you, or worse, I'm going to kill you, right? You, the, 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 the obligation is on you to prove to me, Pharaoh, God's imagining, that you have any standing in front of me. So tnu lachem, give yourselves a mofet. Otherwise, you represent nothing. You're a nobody to me, right? It actually, we talked about this, it is a bit, you know, evocative of Esther and Achashveros, right? You have to have a certain amount of standing to stand before the one who has utter authority over life and death. So God's saying, you, Moshe, and, and Aaron are vulnerable. I know you're not vulnerable, 
But Pharaoh doesn't know you're not vulnerable. So Pharaoh is going to say, show me that you're not vulnerable. Give yourself some kind of a sign. Okay? Now, on that, there's some interesting um, other commentaries that I want to show you. Um, I know it's annoying, but everyone who speaks to the class has to have a microphone. Yeah? Do they? He says, give yourselves <clears throat> a sign and some power and a wonder. But they don't really pick it, right? Meaning they don't choose which they one? They don't choose. It's like, give yourself a sign and wonder, but it doesn't, but they don't say, okay, we're going to throw our stick around and it's going to be a snake. Well, God, right. It's not, it, it's, it, first of all, God is imagining what Pharaoh might say, right? And, and God is basically saying, if it should happen that Pharaoh challenges you, he, that, then you give the sign that I have given you such that Pharaoh will know you're not schleppers who just walked into my palace. You actually represent something, someone powerful. I want to share the screen and we're going to look and see what the Chizkuni says on this. And I'm sorry that Larry's not here yet because he loves the Chizkuni. Okay. Okay. Look on the right-hand side. Um, so this is Chizkuni, uh, Provence, I don't think 13th, 14th century, maybe a little bit later, um, living after Rashi and knowing Rashi which always amazes me every time I think about this, that how, 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 how did any of these commentaries get promulgated in such a way that a hundred years later in a different country or different town that he knew it and he knew it well enough to know that it was important to comment on. It's, it, it, it really does boggle my mind, the, the intellectual tr uh, transmission of our tradition. On the phrase, and by the way, you can look at the English too. The English is a, is a, is a very much a, um, what's the word? Not a translation, a paraphrase. Thank you. Uh, oh, Rick, I didn't see your hand. Were you something you wanted to say before? I, uh, I have a footnote in Silverman about the phrase Shayesh Tzaroch, but I can wait until after you do this one. No, go ahead. You want to? Okay. So there's a footnote in Silverman. Um, I'll read it to you. The phrase Shayesh Tzaroch Be something is an imitation of the Targum on passages like Deuteronomy 32, 17, and then Chavakuk chapter 2, 18, which refers to idols, um, Lit Behon Tzuroch, in parentheses, and the Second Kings, there's another example, Am I a God to kill and make alive, which the Targum renders by Have I Tzuroch to kill? Etc. It is evident that in these passages, the word tzruch has the meaning of power. Power authority. Okay. So, that's so there was comment. three sources there. Good. That's a helpful com a comment. You mentioned the Targum. Uh, go back to the actual verse because it's interesting how Uncleus translates the word mofet into Aramaic. You look at the Targum. Does everyone have the Targum in front of them? Leave his kuskuni for a second. Here, I'll put up on the screen. Verse nine, right? Yeah. Atta. Correct. Okay. So this is Uncleus on the verse. Um, when Pharaoh will malel will speak to you like the word mila lemeimar saying havulachun atta give for yourselves an atta. What's atta? Oat. Right. So it's actually. Somewhat surprising that Rashi, who sometimes does this, does this, does not say kitargumo, 
right? Sometimes Rashi will say, oh, you want to know what this word means? Uncle has got it right. Read the Uncle and you'll know. Rashi could have done that because he's basically saying the same thing. He's just saying it in Hebrew rather than Aramaic. Um, but uh, here Rashi chooses not to say that. Okay, back to the Chizkuni. That, that acronym at the front of this commentary on the screen means Peresh Rashi. Rashi explained, Ot, a sign, Lahodio, to inform. I think he adds the O. We don't, we don't have the O, right? We just have Lahodia in our version of Rashi. Uh, yeah, there's no Vav. Uh, so to inform him, Shiesh Tsroch. And it's interesting because my version of Rashi actually has Tsorech, not Tsroch. So there is a, there's also a difference of opinion as to what that word is. And it's not just a question of vowels because it's where the Vav is. Mine has Tsorecha. Tsorecha, interesting. Yeah. So Tsorech would be the Vav between the Tzadi and the Reish, and that is more like the noun form of a need. Sroch, as we heard in the footnote that Rick said, might mean something else. But whatever it is, the So far he's just quoting Rashi. And he says this, and he says it as Tsroch. And now this is Chizkuni's voice. Tsroch, the word Tsroch, Lashon Yecholet, is is has the meaning of ability, power. Umemshala. We normally translate Memshala as what? Government. What do you think oh. it means here? Uh, yeah, like like author, regal authority, right? Not necessarily the structure of government, but that the the the, the power to actually accomplish what you want to accomplish. Kedita beagada, like we have in a midrash. Lama nikru avodat kuchabim elulim. It's an interesting question. The midrash asks, why are they? Who's the they? Idolaters. Why are? And I'm going to say sometimes idolaters referred to as avodat, the ones who serve kochabim, stars, Elohim, as gods. In other words, the Midrash is saying, why do we even mention gods when we're mentioning what they bow down to if we don't think that they're gods in the first place, right? Why shouldn't it just be avodat kochabim? Which is an interesting question for the Midrash to ask, because most of the times in rabbinic literature, they are referred to as avodat kochabim, not avodat kochabim Elohim. But the question is, sorry, it's the bathrooms. Those of you who are on Zoom, we're distracted because they're doing construction next, next door to us. Rabbi Yoser Omer. This is a sort, sort of a confusing argument. Rabbi Yossi says, this is in the Midrash that Chizkuni is quoting, that there should be no literally opening of a mouth, meaning there's no, giving no one an opportunity, Lomar, to say, Elohim. it's almost if he's saying, by by, by, by mentioning that they are, boy, that is really distracting. <laughs> they were supposed to be stopping doing that. Um, hold on, let me see if I can get them to stop do that. No, they're supposed to, I know they're supposed to pause for this class. Okay, um, go, go to the next line. She'ilu nikru'u Elohim haya behem tzorech, that sort of tzorech, that had we, had we, actually called them gods, it would be as if to say that they have this thing called Tzroch. It's almost like by saying, by calling them as people who worship stars as if they are gods, it's our way of saying, and we know that they're not gods. By mentioning Elohim, it's like our way of saying, we know that's what they think they are, those, those idols are, but they're not. And then he gives this, um, uh, the Targum 
on a verse from Parshat Hazinu. So I'm going to change the screen. Parshat Hazinu, which is the penultimate Parsha in the Torah, Moshe's poem at the end of his life that sort of tells the story of the Israelites' march through the desert and their experience. The verse, verse 17, Yizbechu Lashedim Lo Eloha. They sacrifice to these kind of demons that are not gods, are, are no gods. So the same question could be asked. Why even mention that they're not gods? Just mention that they sacrifice to demons, and that is clear. So it's almost like by mentioning it, it's making it, giving it more legitimacy. Uncleus translates this. Dabahu um, Dabahu, the Dalit and the Zion jump back and forth in Aramaic and Hebrew. So Dabahu is Zavhu, like a Zebach, a sacrifice. Lashedin, these spirits. Delate Bahon Tzroch, who have no Tzroch. So Uncleus in our verse says, what is a, a false god that someone might bow down to? It's a something that has no tzroch, has no authority, has no power, has no ability to, uh, to push things through. Um, right. Okay. So um, are you asking them to stop? <laughs> okay. Because they're, they're, they're supposed to. Rebbe, Rebbe. Yeah. Before you leave that spot there, Hazina, it also has... Elohim lo yidaum, that also parallels to Pharaoh, who's saying, I don't know this God that you're talking about. So I, I like that piece of it also. Yes. The, the, the verb yodea occurs again and again in Haftorah land and also in the Torah, of course. Right. And so, and, and it occurs in Rashi saying, and therefore the reason you're going to put the sign down is lohodia, to make it known, to make it clear that that you actually do represent a being that has tzroch, as opposed to the empty idols that some people bow down to that have no tzroch. So that's, um, it, it's, 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 what, what I think he's saying is that, um, first of all, he's saying that what, 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 when, when Rashi uses that weird word tzroch, he's saying, what does tzroch mean? It means the, uh, the, the, the presence of, of, of power and authority to push things through. And he connects it to a verse, to Uncle Lissa's translation of clearly a divine attribute in Parshat Hazinu. And he's also the saying, this argument, which is, which is some, somewhat backward, but still interesting that by, by, mentioning, um, by mentioning the idolaters as worshiping things as gods, you might think that gives it more legitimacy. It actually gives it less legitimacy because it's clear the as, like, they think those things are gods, but they're not, as opposed to saying, oh, they worship those things. And if I don't say as gods, then it's as if we're saying, yeah, you can worship those things. Actually, you can't worship them because they think that they're gods and they're not. Okay, um, that was Rashi and Chizkuni on verse 10. Nine? Nine. Nine. Okay, getting confused. Uh, anything else in verse nine before we move on? There's another Rashi. Yes, there's another Rashi. Thank you. Sue? Another one word, Rashi. Uh, Letanin, a serpent. And what's, what, what, what does Rashi say? He says it's a nachash. Nachash. A serpent. Right. So you... Um, or a tuna. You, um, reader, 
might not know what the word tanin is. One of the reasons you might not know what the word tanin is is because in the Breshit story, the word tanin is referred to as like the sea monsters, like some of the some of the great leviathans that were 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 created. And Rashi basically saying, don't think that um, what was being made here is a blue whale, right, or some great ocean uh, uh, animal, but simply sometimes tanin just means nachash. Let's give Ilan uh, the microphone. So is Rashi's conclusion that it's nach- that it's the same as Nachash, is that just because he doesn't think the other one is logical, not that either one would be logical? Does he have some, what's his basis for making that conclusion? Look at verse 15. Yeah, we'll read this more slowly when we get there, but just four verses, five verses later. Lech el paro, go to Pharaoh, babok in the morning. Hine yotzei hamayma, he's coming out to the water. Benitzavtali Krato, set yourself up to meet him, Al Sfat Hayaor, on the uh, banks of the Nile. The Hamate Asher Nehepach Nachash, that very staff that was converted into a Nachash, I think Rashi is, is, is adding one on one and, and making it two. It's both the case that it's hard for him to imagine Leviathan coming in that scene, and later on the Torah refers to it as a Nachash. Larry, I have some very bad news for you. We spent 15 minutes on a chizkuni, and, uh, and, and we'll never get that back. I'm sorry. And we did, yes, we did mention your name, but not in vain. We mentioned it not in vain. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on verse 9? Okay. Mickey, can I ask you a favor? Could you just pour me a, a, a cup of black coffee? Thank you. Sorry. Oh, you okay? Thanks. Okay. Um, let's go to verse 10. Do you want to hear what Saperstein has to say? Always. So he has a footnote that says elsewhere in the Torah, the term refers to a plague. However, Pharaoh surely would not be expected to ask for a plague. So Mofet must mean a wondrous sign supported by the fact that Uncleus consistently renders Mofet as Moftah, whereas in the verse he renders it as Ata. The Aramaic equivalent of the Hebrew oat, a sign. Yeah. Um, you might be familiar in the paragraph leading up to the Micha Mocha, I always forget, is this Shachrit or Mariv? There's a reference to Otot Umoftim, that, that God placed before the Egyptians. So in that, in, in that, that's liturgy, it's not Bible, but in that liturgy, it's understood that the Otot, let me take, take it back. If, if Mofet means oat, then Otodum of Team is redundant. It's from the Department of Redundancy Department, right? So most people understand that in the liturgical reference to the Exodus story and its Otodum of Team, Otot were the signs, were the, were the, were the, were the miracles, and the Moftim were the plagues, right? So that's why Saperstein has to say, lest you think that this use of the word Mofet is a plague and what God is saying when Pharaoh asks you, He's not, he's not begging himself to be smited. He's asking for an oat, not a mofate, even though he used the word mofate, even though he wouldn't have used that word because he wouldn't have spoken Hebrew. And this is all in God's imagination anyway, which is really our imagination. Are we, are we, in, are we in the Escher painting yet? Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> verse 10. Uh, Joel, can you read verse 10 for us? Right. Vaykra gam parol chachamim. Uh, that's 11. Go back oh, first. Sorry. And 
Aaron and Moshe went to Paro and they did thus. Kashir Tziva Adonai, as God had commanded, Vayashlech Aharon et Matehu, and Aaron threw down his staff, Lifne Paro, before Paro, Lifne Avadav, and before his workers or his whatever, Vayihilatanin, and it turned into a snake. Good. Okay. So, in terms of information, there's nothing that's worth that surprising. It, 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 it could have, the verse could have been Vayasuchain, that they, they did exactly what Moshe and Aaron had been told to do in the previous verse, but we're actually getting it in, in, in full detail, right? Um, pretty um, um, fundamental grammatical structure and language. There aren't any words in here that jump out at us. We've already dealt with Tanin. Rashi is quiet on this verse, but there's one other commentary I'm going to show you. Uh, but first, pause to see if any questions or comments on the verse. Tova. Uh, this is maybe a combination of my faulty memory and, and classes that I've missed, but um, God, it's clearly been mentioned before that Aharon is going to be speaking for Moshe because of his, however we understand his problem with speaking. Uh, but the, the staff was given to Moshe, the wonder was demonstrated in advance, or a wonder was demonstrated in advance to Moshe. Is it also indicated that Aharon should act because this is an act, it's not speaking. And you'd think in a sense that Moshe as the actual primary force could do this to, to and, and that it'd be almost more appropriate through him than through Aharon. I, I'm, yeah. So I'm just, is it made clear before that Aharon is also going to act in this way and that it's his staff? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And we sort of glided over it on the previous, in verse nine without, without recognizing, or I certainly didn't recognize that's worthy of a question because in the previous verse, it does say, that Pharaoh says to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh demands from you some sign, yeah. el Aharon, tell Aaron, kach et matcha, take your, right. take your staff. So we, right. we somehow didn't wonder on it then, but it's worth wondering on. Yeah. There, are, there are Rashi comments that we're going to hit later on, much later on, that try to explain why in some of the plagues, Moshe is the one who's actually doing the smiting, and some of them, it's Aaron. Um, the most famous one, and I'm, I'm not giving anything away because we'll linger on it when we get there, is that um, what's the first plague? Dumb. And what is plagued with dumb? The river. And Aaron is the one who stretches out a staff on that one. And Ra I don't know if anyone's anyone aware of the, of the answer that Rashi, that Midrash gives. Why, yeah. why, why Aaron does it, not Moshe? Rick? Because Moses was saved by the Nile so that he doesn't want to attack the Nile or something like that. Right. You don't you don't you don't fight. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. You don't smite the river that saved you. It's really a, a, a beautiful, poignant, ridiculous and wonderful Midrash. So later on, um, the, the Midrashim try to explain why Aaron is responsible for some, not the others. But you're right. We 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 don't have the Torah telling us that even though Aaron's primary role is to be a, a peh, a mouthpiece, we, we don't get until this verse that he's also actually doing some action. And I didn't even think about that in the previous verse. Yeah. Yes, Bear, let's bear the microphone. This seems to presage um, uh, Aaron Nekokanim as the, the doers of the servant to God. Mm. Yeah, uh, hadn't thought about that either, right? That in this scene, Aaron is just a brother, but he's going to become Av HaKohanim, uh, functioning in the Holy of Holies in the most um, sacred of places. So getting things done. Good. Good association. 
Okay, let me show you one. Any other thing on the verse itself? Okay, Joel. Joel. Joel has a question answer. Let's do this like Jeopardy. Give give the answer first, and we'll guess the question. Okay, my question is what? Why does it say "v'lifnei avadav"? Why is that important? Does the avadav have any power? Do they need to be shown this sign at all? What's the purpose of this avadav? The only answer I can come up with is saying is it's basically Moshe and Aaron saying, "You think you have a staff? Well, we have a staff that's even more powerful than your staff." Uh huh. But I don't think that's the real answer. You're talking about English staff. This is yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, they're in the court. There's going to be the courtiers, the ministers. Staff of people. Got it. Okay. Uh, Joel will be here all week, everyone. <laughs> No, don't don't forget slow. your tip of waiters. The question is the question is serious. The answer was kidding. Yeah, I mean, and and the and the serious question is why there are courtiers there. Why is it important to mention that they threw it in, that he threw it down in front of the courtiers? Uh huh. Well, a question, verse eleven might answer that. So let's use that as a segue to verse eleven. Um, I thought that there was a commentary I wanted to bring on verse ten. It was actually verse eleven. So is that right? Let me just make sure. Yeah, yeah, but I thought there was another comment here I wanted to bring, but it's actually in verse 11. So, um, Joel, two of the price of one, read, read verse 11. Vaikra gam parola chachamim ule mechashvim vayasu gam hem chartume mitzrayim bilhatehem ken. And Pharaoh called also, also called? his um, wise men and his magicians, and they also um, made, uh, and the, and the Khartoumim are also magicians, right? Yeah, it, it, it's a hard verse to parse to figure out who's the subject of which verb, but, but you're getting there, go ahead. And the, the magicians of Egypt also um, made, I don't know what Belat him. Right. So I, they did likewise. So, so I guess the best way to translate it without knowing what the word lahat means, which is good, they don't know it because it's a very hard word, is that the Chartumemi Trium also did it with their lahats, right? And we'll have to light hear what lahat. Something? What's that? Something to do with light, right? Well, possibly, right? But the, the Bilahatehem is the word lahat, whatever it means, pluralized, lahatim. Be using and hem theirs using their lahats. Okay, so it's it's it looks like we have three words describing the people that are with Pharaoh who are helping him and possibly capable of matching the magic. And by the way, if you go back to the previous verse and your question four, right? So you have his his avadim, the the ones who are serving Pharaoh. Maybe his maybe these are not magicians, but just like you know, the butlers or something. And then you have the Chachamim, the wise ones, the Mechashafim, right? The ones who do magic. Mechashefa in um, Hebrew is a witch, right? It's one of the, the, um, uh, the, the, the tied for the shortest verse in the entire Torah uh, is a verse in Parshat Mishpatim that uh, Leb, which, who was his bar mitzvah parsha, was very, ha- it was very happy for him when he got to that verse to Lena because he learned a whole verse. It was three words. Mechashefa lo three words. Do not let a witch live, right? This that sounds very Monty Python-ish, but but um, in the book of Exodus, the idea was that if so, if that a sorcerer who is trying to suggest that they have power, like you can't you can't abide them, right? 
How do we know she's a witch? Okay, so kuf shin pei means some kind of magic. So you have the chacham, you have the mechashef, and now you have the chartum, which just sounds like it's a borrowed word, right? Like, like it just sounds like it doesn't come from Hebrew. And so it's probably um, yet another way, an ancient way, probably an Egyptian way of referring to those in Egypt who could do the, um, the, the magic, right? Um, if you look at the, the unculus here, he cheats a little bit. Uh, should I put the uncle? It's not, if not everyone has uncleus, I'll put it up. I always forget everyone has Tanakh. Exodus Shmot 7, verse 11, and Targum. Okay. So, Uncleus says, uh, Ukra Afparo, that we've got, Pharaoh also called, Lechakimaya. So, Chakimaya, Aramaic, Chachamim in Hebrew, the wise ones. Lecharashaya. Um, he uses the, the Aramaic word harash, which also is a Hebrew word. It actually is one of the roots describing what Bitzalel, who was the builder of the Mishkan, had to go find. He had to go find people who could get things done, not necessarily in a magical way, but productive artisans. Va'avadu af'inun, they also did it. Who? Harashe mitzrayim. So when I say Uncle cheats, he takes the two Hebrew words, mechashafim, <laughs> And Khartoumim, and he says, ah, they're, they're all Kharashim. Like, it all means the same thing. You know, people who are able to get things done. This is actually an early window into, into the other question. Look how Uncleus translates Lachatehem. He translates as Lachashehem. What is Lachash? Whisper. Right? So we would have thought maybe in our, and in, in we read the Hebrew, that the Be Lachatehem using their Lachats as if it's a thing, like their version of a staff, right? Ra, Rashi, Uncleus says it's not by means of an object, but by means of their whispered incantations, right? What's it? Spells, right? You might know the word lachash. Uh, I remember the first time I understood what the word lachash was, was Erev Shel Shoshanim. Hava el chash lach shir balat. I will whisper you a, a, a quiet poem. So that's, that's how you might know that word. Okay, so that's the verse. Um, any um, any questions or comments on the verse before we look at some of the Rashi? Yes, Diane. So why would God ask Moshe and Aaron to do something that could be duplicated by Pharaoh's guys? Mm. Um, if, if God is trying to show God's power, this didn't do it. Uh-huh. At least not yet. Right? right, right, but but why start there? Right. Well, th there's if, if you if you'll excuse me, there's a better question than that question, but it's the same question. Why does the Torah record that Pharaoh's magicians could do any of this? Right? Like if, if, that that may be the most shocking thing about this verse. God says to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh asks you for a sign, this is what you should do, and then the next verse they do it, and the next verse the Egyptian sorcerers did it too. So in what way is that a mofet, right? Um, by the way, we, we jumped over the fact that in verse 10, you know, sometimes the Torah is, is terse and doesn't tell us everything that happened. Verse 9 predict, said that God predicts that you're going to get in front of Moses, uh, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is going to ask you for a sign. And only when God, Pharaoh asks you for a sign do you give it. In verse 10, they give the sign without being asked for it. It's not a huge deal, but we never have a moment where Pharaoh says, hey, show me your mofet. It's just that they get there and they do it right away. But it's fascinating that if you want to go on a meta level, that the text that is committed more than anything else 
So the idea that people should be monotheists who believe in only one divine power has in the story, or you could say it happened <laughs> that that way, that in their first direct encounter with Pharaoh and his magicians, they are capable too, right? That, that, that's an odd reporting on some level. Um, I don't have a great answer to that, but I think it's interesting to note. I think both things are interesting to note. Not just that the first one is doable, but that any of them are doable. Sue. Well, it, it does set up what happens next with his, there's with the gods, with the Aaron's staff swallowing up the other ones, right. which is more powerful. If, if you start out and you say, look, we can do this fantastic thing and the other guys can't do it, but then they go back and they yeah. can do their experiments and come back with something. It's more, it, it is more powerful that wait, that everyone watches while Aaron's, you know, Mofet overshadows anything they could possibly come up with. There's, there's power in that. There's right. And that next verse, which we may or may not actually get to today, it's almost as if, right? Like, Oh, how quaint you, you, you can make a snake too. watch what my snake can do to your snake, which is maybe a, a more powerful sign than an inability to have created in the first place. Uh, of course, the sw the swallowing the strong one swallowing up the the weak one is evocative of Yosef's dreams, right? So it's evocative of the first time um, 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 we've got Jewish power represented in not Yosef's dreams, Yosef's interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. Um, first time that we have Israelite power and wisdom represented in Egypt. This is in some ways a a um, not a, a recapitulation of that. And Larry. Not 100% sure where I'm going to end up with this, but it can't only be about power. <clears throat> if it's only about power, then we, our entire system of belief in God is because he's the most powerful God and we're simply afraid and want to obey that power. Mm. But God's power isn't, in the Torah, isn't his ability to, to, to perform miracles or do these things. His power is the power of justice he's the god of justice he's the god of what's right pharaoh should have let the people go not because moses was demonstrating god's power but because it was the right thing to do mm. so now i don't know how to get to the end to jump to the end so it's not a question that moses can evidence miracles or power or tricks or that aaron can do that and to some extent it's telling us it's not even about the plagues is about convincing Pharaoh to do what was right. Hmm. Hmm. Alan and Barry? <clears throat> that seems contrary to what Chazal does all the way through, that one of the reasons for the plagues was to show... Uh, translate Chazal. Uh, ...that the sages, the, the rabbis of, uh, of the Mishnah, Gemara, et al., the <clears throat> the wise people, may the memories be for a blessing. Um, the 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 notion is that God was showing not just to Pharaoh but to the world about God's power, and that's why all the plagues were there. So it wasn't necessarily a sense of yes, there was a sense of God's justice, but the stated reason isn't well. This is the just thing to do. It's the thing that is showing to the world God's power. Barry and then Renee. I see Renee's hand up. God, God likes struggle. And this was Yaakov. 
Uh, just to come in and overwhelm the Egyptians, there's no fun in that. Mm. God, God wants struggle. So uh, you got to give the magicians a chance to kind of mm. do, do their thing. And then maybe some of the times they do their thing, kind of stand up on their feet before I knock you over. Mm. Right. Struggle and, and also spectacle. Right. Renee? I was going to say something similar to um, what what um, Sue, Sue said, but also that it kind of led up to um, the grand finale. So, yeah, they were able to do maybe some of the minor things, hmm. but they weren't able to get to the grand finale that the Jews were able to get. Right. So it, it, built, it, builds, the, it builds the drama, right? It's, it te- teases the Egyptians that they might think they'll be able to contend a little bit. And I guess you could say in response to uh, what I had said to Diane before, that why does the Torah even suggest at all that the Egyptians were capable of anything magic? You could say, well, maybe these were optical illusions or something like that. that they weren't actually creating a snake, but they, they, they created an image as if, and then it was clear that God's power dominates theirs. Um, I want to do some translation fun uh, because this verse is interesting. So uh, let me share the screen here. Um, this is uh, Everett Fox's translation of the verse. Pharaoh too called for the wise men, Chachamim, and for the sorcerers, Chashfim, that they too, Kama, the magicians of Egypt. See what he's doing there. He's saying, Chartumei Mitzrayim is a general term for all the people who might help Egypt, Pharaoh, including the Chachamim and the Chashfim. So he, that's why he has that third phrase in there. Should do thus with their, look at what it is with Lahatehem, their occult arts. So he's definitely impacted by Uncleish's trans, translation of, of, of whispers that this is not, whatever a lot hot is, it's not a thing. Not what this note says. Ah, whereas Aaron needs none since God performs the miracle, right? So they, whatever a lot hot is, they needed it. They need some kind of a, you know, a, you know Harry Potter dark arts, but all Moses needed was to ask Aaron to do so. That's one translation. I'm going to show you another one. Um, you have one. Let me let me share one more, and then um, where is it? Yeah, this new translation, which I just recently found on 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 Safari, you use it a bit. It's interesting. Um, then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, very similar to Fox, also could do the same by their secret arts. So these are two translations that render lahat as a as some kind of a art or approach as opposed to a thing and turns the Khartoum Mitzrayim into a category under which we have the Chachamim and the Mechashvim. And then one more, we'll look at, we'll look at, um, oops, look at JPS. And then if you have REA Kaplan's are interesting or Leonard is interesting, we'll listen to that also. Yeah. It's under translations. You can choose up to like 19 different translations. Yeah. Uh, JPS. Then Pharaoh for his part, I don't know what that, why that's there. Summon the sages and the sorcerers and the Egyptian magician priests. So he turns Khartoumais to the magician priests. In turn, did the same with their spells. So JPS agrees with the other two that Lahat is a spell or an incantation, but does not turn the Khartoumim into like this uber category. Leonard, and then we'll hear Larry's or or Tova's or anyone's. Sue. Hi. So I can't find it at the moment, but somewhere I was reading where Lechashim, since it's done quietly, they translated it as secret incantations. Uh-huh. 
that if the word lahat means lachash, then it's then it's then it's secret, right? Okay. Um, Silverman, I, I'm just curious why translates it as the engravers yeah. of hieroglyphs of Egypt. They use the word harat. Right. So right. So Silverman is an incredibly knowledgeable rabbi and sage who knows a thousand more than I will ever know, and is somewhat slavish to the frummy reading of text. And in the frummy reading of text, they can't imagine that any word in the Torah would be a borrowed word from another language. And so even though Khartoum is just, just sounds not Hebrew, they say, ah, Kharat, Lichrot is to engrave something like so. Um, so there, there's a there's a there's almost a play on words as if this were Hebrew, what would it mean? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's curious because while I get that that's probably not the best translation, the fact is that a lot of the Egyptians wouldn't have called it magic; they would have called it science. But mm. way of affecting the universe yeah. in Egypt was actually done through hieroglyphs, some of them usually written, not engraved, but mm -hmm. written down. And the idea of, of engraved hieroglyphs, they, they, it, it wasn't just a historical record. It was something that made it actuality. Mm. I mean, that's why Ramesses, what he records about Kadesh, which is a victory, not a stalemate, mm -hmm. it becomes real because it's been engraved. Mm. I mean, so they're, 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 I mean, in a way, it kind of works <laughs> unintentionally hmm. great uh you got some ones are you i mean yeah. are you uh larry so altar is not so interesting i can read it but it's, it's basically the same as we've been reading and pharaoh too called for the sages and sorcerers and they too the soothsayers of egypt did thus with their spells um he's a little comment he says <clears throat> the Hebrew word for soothsayers, Khartoumim, is a direct borrowing from the Egyptian designation for priest magicians. The term translated as spells, Latim, either is related to the root Lamed, I guess it's Tof or Tet? Mm -hmm. Tet. Tet. That means to conceal, or if one follows the proposal of Abraham Ibn Ezra, Ezra is derived from the root Lamed He Tet to flame out, which he links with the fire and flash technique of the illusionist. Ibn Ezra, a rationalist, thus implies that the soothsayers' success in transforming their staffs into serpents was an act of ledger domain. The ancient writer, however, seems to have assumed the efficacy of magic as a kind of technology. Hmm. The point of the story is that the capacity of this technology was limited, and hence the authentically miraculous serpent into which Aaron's staff had turned swallows up the other serpents. Hmm. So, the, so there was there was some capacity, but it was limited, and it was through through flash through flash flash path. Okay. So, and then uh, Arya Kaplan's translation is a little different. Pharaoh summoned his scholars, scholars, that's the sages, mm -hmm. and magicians. So the scholars seems to suggest to me that there's some intellectual aspect to what's going the on. Khatamim, right? The master symbolists. That's the Khatamim. Right, and here he says. See Genesis chapter 41, 8. Some say that they were astrologers. Um, the master symbolists were able to do the same thing with their magic tricks. He then also talks about the um, magic tricks in Lahat. I won't read the whole thing, but he refers to Raubag. How Rabbi can we? Ben Gershom. We never talk about him. No, he's not he's, on the page, right? He's not. He's not. 
he doesn't doesn't appear on the classic Mikog Deloit, and he doesn't and he doesn't have there's not it, it, we don't have a full extant commentary of him on the Torah, but he is considered a Gersonides is sometimes referred to. So he's two centuries after Rashi, right? But he's also French, right? And interestingly, the Wikipedia calls him a French philosopher, not a rabbi, not a, no. Interesting. He's just called him a French philosopher. Um, but then he goes, so Raulbach apparently goes back to the story in, in Genesis of the Garden of Eden. Right, which we will get, we'll, we're going to get to. I just don't know if we're going to get to it in the next four minutes. Stevie's, Stevie's hand is up. Yeah, I'm just, uh, apparently there's something called the Egyptian tale of Pharaoh Kerlop's court, in which, amongst other miracles that are performed, one is turning a wax crocodile into a real one and back again. Hmm. Um, and this apparently dates from the 17th century BC. So it would anyway. So so uh, there's some Egyptian literature along these lines, and it sort of makes sense that uh, right that that it would therefore be you know incorporated. And this article also goes on to suggest that the use of the word tanin, right, because it's a sort of primordial chaos monster enemy thing that therefore if if Aaron's staff is or if if the tanin is then right it, the egyptians are supposed to have control over the tanin that's sort of what uh, imbues pharaoh with authority and therefore once all the all of pharaoh's people's tanins are eaten by uh by Aaron's, it means that pharaoh no longer has control over the world order got it Got it. Yeah, even in a magic show today, when the magician produces a live pigeon, it's pretty amazing. But we, we don't actually think that a live pigeon was conjured. It, it was just we, we didn't see where it came from. Um, but if a second pigeon eats the first pigeon, that actually happened, right? So you so you so you can imagine, you know, that you can graph that onto into onto our. There's also several pieces of Egyptian artwork that show people carrying serpents as staffs, but they're like squiggly. Wiggly staffs. Um, I'm going to share the screen uh, to show you how BDB handles the possible derivations here. So um, either lahat, which is the word balahatehem, has to do with the root lut, lamed vav tet, and the hay kind of comes in there, which um, would have to do with something that is wrapped or 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 in enveloping something wrapped up in a garment here is that like talit mm, i think the, i think the word talit the tet is is central to the to the um and it's even given here under the under the uh entry lot if i'm pointing with the cursor bilatehem which is not what we have we have bilahatehem but there I uh, forgot that's in I forgot what book that's in Book of Jubilees maybe um, with their mysteries or enchantments so it could be that or Lamed Heitet this is the one you were referring to before to blaze up or flame as if the Lahatehim were was the was what people experienced while they were doing it some kind of like a laser light show right and according to BDB doesn't mean that they're right that's what sorry according to BDB it's this one um that is uh what we've got in our verse and it's a less accepted even though the word the letter hay is on the root it's less accepted 
that our verse is referring to this lahat with the flames. Okay. Now, I never, I don't have the same expertise on BDB as I do with Jastro, so I don't I haven't memorized all of the acronyms. Rebbe. So, some reference to some other dictionary or lexicon. Yeah. The one on the bottom there on your screen that the Rashi hits that, the uh, Genesis, the, the spinning sword. Correct, correct. And I, met, and I mentioned that before. I just don't know if we're going to get to that. To get to it because yeah. it's already 930, yeah. It's already now. So let's do this. Um, it's 931. Um, where do we get to? We got to, we, we, we got a verse. We did a verse today. We're about to read the Rashi's on Bilahatehem on verse 11. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.